So we come to Acts chapter number four. Um, I had a question that I'm just want, I'm going to throw out to you, and I'm asking for feedback. I'm asking for you, okay? Outside of Jesus and his life and, and what he did, outside of any of that, what are the greatest works in the Bible? Who accomplished the biggest, what's the biggest thing that someone did outside of Jesus? What comes to your mind? What was that? Hung, outside of, we're not counting. God is doing all this stuff. And so let's, we're just going to pass on God and Jesus and say he gets first place and it's not even close, right? And so what's next? Of all the great stories in the Bible, what's the greatest thing that someone accomplished outside of Jesus, outside of the Father? Ten Commandments, so Moses receiving the Ten Commandments, right? So that's pretty impressive. Goes up to the mountain. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. What else? Abraham and Noah, I mean, Noah's building a boat, right? Uh, I mean, good night, God says, build a boat. Um, I hear someone say, Abraham, um, by faith, leaving the only home that he knew and going to a place he had never seen before. I mean, how incredible is that, right? What else? What was that? Joseph in Egypt, right? Rising up through after being imprisoned and falsely accused, continues to be faithful. How incredible is that? Right. So many different things. Uh, what about like David, right? We just talked about David. We look at all the different things David did in his life. They're pretty incredible. Um, I think of Joshua marching around the walls of Jericho and those walls coming crashing down. Um, we, you and I, we don't like to like look stupid, Right. Can you just imagine, can you just imagine um, Joshua at Jericho, he's told by God to march around these walls for seven days, and he's just like, everyone's going to think I'm an idiot. Uh, but God knew, and Joshua, uh, Joshua trusted in God, and God came through, right? Um, man, we could just go on and on and on, couldn't we? We could just go on and on and on about all these different things that God used people to accomplish, when we look at these works, one of the things that I think is incredible uh, as we look at all of these works is I think sometimes um, we can have a little bit of a misconception about what great works are. Because oftentimes we look at the fruit of these works, we look at the end result, but sometimes we miss out on the things that happened before that. If we look at each of these individuals that we just named, who did the work ultimately? God did the work through them, right? I think all of us that, any of us that said an answer, we know that. God did the work through them, and they were faithful. So then, today, anytime that we accomplish anything, is it any different? No. God accomplishes the work through his people. Today, as we get into um, this portion of the book of Acts, we're going to see um, God using his followers, his disciples, and we're going to see their response to God's movement and God's work and how God continues to increase his work through them. To this point in um, the book of Acts, up until the very end of our time together last week, from Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection to really the very end of our time last week, and I'll get back to that, um, the disciples had been left alone by the religious leaders. The Jesus people, or sometimes they're referred to as the people of the way, they are being kind of ignored by the religious leaders in hopes that they'll just kind of go away. 
Or maybe at worst, they become another sect of Judaism and they kind of do their thing just like the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Essenes and these other people groups if you want to really dig into it. So maybe they'll just kind of behave that way, but they'll keep peace and we can all kind of go forward together. That's the hope. That's the hope of the religious leaders. As they come to the end of chapter number three, now we have Peter um, preaching very strongly and saying, you people crucified Jesus who God sent to you. Does it sound like Peter wants to get along? Not really. As he's saying, repent and turn from your wickedness. That doesn't sound like a, hey, let's all hold hands together moment for the Jewish religious leaders. And so they're put off by this. They're put off by this. And so what happens in the beginning of chapter number four, certain people, the captain of the temple, the Sadducees, these religious leaders come in and they arrest Peter and John who are speaking to the people. And what do they do with them? Watch this in verse number five. This is where we left off last week. God has been working. This man was healed in the temple. He was able to walk after years of not walking and now the Peter and John have been arrested and brought before these religious leaders. Verse number five says, on the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. This John being separate from the apostle, um, the one that we mentioned just a moment ago. When they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this man is standing before you as well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So, you know, this incredible exchange has taken place now. Uh, this group of men known as Sadducees. The religious leaders, sometimes we look at the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Pharisees were beloved by the people, most of the people affiliated as Pharisees or looked up to them and to their teaching. But the temple leaders were primarily Sadducees. And there's a whole historical reason for that that we won't get into. Chief distinction of the Sadducees is that they do not believe in any sort of a resurrection. So when Peter now is saying that Jesus died and rose again, they don't think that even in the last days, this kind of stuff is going to happen, much less right here and right now. And so they reject all of this outright. And so now these Sadducees are coming and questioning Peter and John for what's taking place. And they ask this question. They say, by what authority, by what power, by what name did you do this? These were men that were trying now to find the way of God outside of the word of God. They were already set in what they were expecting to see. 
And they had no intention of believing, even if the scripture pointed to what Peter and John were saying. They were trying to find God outside of his word. But that's not how God reveals himself. We find the way of God by searching the word of God. And what you're about to see is you're about to see Peter boldly going back to the scriptures and teaching these educated doctors, the people who had all of the degrees, all of the intelligence, all of the qualifications, saying this is actually what is taking place. And so as they come and they ask this question, they say, by whose authority are you doing all of this? And Peter responds, and I love his response. Because what he says is he starts off and he says, oh, you talking about the crippled guy? You talking about the guy who couldn't walk and is now running around the temple and praising God? If you're asking about that, I want to be really, really clear about whose authority and whose name is attached to that work. Because it's the name of Jesus Christ, of Nazareth, the one that you crucified, but God raised from the dead. So this is like taking off these guys on every level, right? Because he's saying, first of all, he's saying, you crucified him. And if we look at the group that's gathered, um, he said this before with a group of Jewish, just a group of Jewish people at Pentecost, right? He said, you crucified um, here, it kind of means a little bit something different because who is he speaking to? Look at verse number six, Annas, the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander. So who are especially Annas and Caiaphas? If you were with us when we were finishing up our study of the book of Matthew, those names might sound a little bit familiar to you because Annas and Caiaphas are the uh, two headed uh, high priests, one, the legitimate high priest based on succession and one, the high priest that the Romans had stuck in charge of the religious worship within Jerusalem. And so these are two kind of co-high priests that were directly responsible for Jesus arrest and crucifixion. So this isn't just a broad accusation you are uh, complicit in this. No, if any responsibility could be laid on human shoulders, these are the guys responsible. And so Peter looks at them and Peter just with this boldness says, oh, you remember that guy you crucified Jesus? The one who rose again from the dead? You know, the one whose body you haven't been able to find because it's not there. It's in his name that this man is up and walking. And he says, this stone that you, you builders, you rejected it. This stone is not just any stone. It is the cornerstone, the square in which the whole foundation is aligned. And then he says, there's no other, there's no other name. There's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. He says, listen, guys, there's the only authority, the authority that this man was healed through that now we preach to you today. What's the response they have to this? Verse number 13, they see the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men. They were astonished. You see, what do they expect from these men? They, they're doctors of the law. Everyone treats them with respect. 
They come into this room, and, and maybe they're even a little bit nervous as they begin to speak. Everyone else sees their authority and knows who they are, and so they, they talk to them like they're important. But now Peter steps up, and he just says, hey, murderers, how's it going? And they look at them, and they said, aren't these guys uneducated? Aren't these guys just common men? They're astonished. They're in amazement. Why? They recognized that they had been with Jesus. See here, what we find in this chapter is it was evident that the disciples had been with Jesus. It was evident that the disciples had been with Jesus. Over and over and over again, these Sadducees had confronted Jesus, and they knew what kind of answers he gave. In fact, they thought him so rebellious that that led to his crucifixion. They saw him undermining their authority. Why? Because he constantly went back to the scriptures, went back to the authority that the word of God had given for generation after generation. He said, this is truth. And he said, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Woe to you, religious leaders in Jerusalem. And he begins to teach and proclaim the truth of the word of God. And now as they're watching Peter and they're watching John and they're hearing them, they're saying, these guys sound like Jesus. These guys are bold like Jesus. And so when they said that it was in Jesus' name that they did all of these things, they said, yeah, we can tell. It was obvious that they had been with Jesus. Watch this in verse number 14. We're going to come back to that in just a little bit. But in verse 14, he says, But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. So what's their argument going to be? They're looking. This man who had been healed is now with them. What's their argument going to be? They have none. There's no rebuttal. But in verse 15, when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, what shall we do with the, these men? So they said, remove these men. Let us confer together. Let us counsel together. They said, what shall we do with these men? That a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. Just imagine this. You, you hear what's going on here? They're saying, we know that this miracle happened. We understand that there was a sign that there's no denying it. And yet, understand with me the nature of unbelief. Because unbelief is demonstrated here. Unbelief is demonstrated in spite, not because of, but in spite of the evidence that's presented to them. They don't care that this is true and that this has taken place. They don't care that a life has been changed in a way that they couldn't comprehend. They want to be right. And this contradicts what they had believed. So now they find themselves in this situation. They can't deny the things that have taken place, but they can attempt to intimidate. 
And they can attempt to draw others away. And so they bring the people back in. They bring Peter and John and this lame man back in, in verse 17. And in order that it may spread no further, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in his name. So they called them in and they charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. We cannot, we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. You see, the gospel of Jesus had impacted these men so much that they have no choice but to teach and to speak others about what he had done in their lives. Even if, even if they had wanted to keep silent, there was no way that that could take place. I love the words of Jeremiah, the prophet in the Old Testament. Jeremiah is suffering because he's telling others of God's message, and he's going out into a city that doesn't want to hear what he has to say. He's despised by the people and the leaders. No one likes Jeremiah. There's that party pooper, Jeremiah. Can you believe that guy? And so Jeremiah goes out, and he goes out, and he's he's poorly treated because of the message of Jesus. And yet, what does he do? He comes to a point where he says, Lord, I'm done. Lord, I quit. All I do is try to speak your truth and I get kicked around. I get beat up. I get, I get spit on. No one wants to hear what I have to say. God, you give me your hardest struggles. God, I am done. Then he comes around and he says, I tried to quit. But man, your word, it was like a fire inside my bones. I had no choice but to say the things that you led me to say. He was compelled in this magnificent way to take the message that he was given. And here we find these apostles. They said, I don't even have a choice here. We saw a guy die and come back to life. He fulfilled all of the prophecies that have been given to us for millennia that our people had kept over and over and over again. This changes everything. And so these men, Peter and John, understand this. They have no concern now for their own safety, their own life, their own well-being. Why? Because they're following someone who was dead and is alive again. What's the worst thing you're going to do to someone who is stronger than death? What's the worst that can happen now? Well, we're going to kill you if you preach the gospel. What does Paul say? Oh, to live is Christ. Oh, but to die? That's gain. That's better. So what intimidation tactics do these leaders have? They don't. And so what do they do? They, they say, verse 21, when they had further threatened them, they kept threatening They let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom, watch this, this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. For 40 years, this man had been lame. Likely for decades, he had sat at the temple. This man was a fixture of the temple where all the good Jews went to worship and offer sacrifices. And for years, they would walk by, 
Many likely knew his name or at least would say, oh, there's that guy. There's the lame man from the temple. And now in a day, all of that has changed. He's no longer the lame man in the temple. He's the formerly lame man in the temple. Because God had intervened through Peter and John in the name of Jesus Christ. And so what do we see? We see the apostles there sitting there in this attempt to silence them. And they said, should we obey you or should we obey God? What do we do when people disagree with God? In fact, what do we do when, when, when leaders disobey God? When our culture says it's no longer fashionable or trendy to share your faith with others. When our culture and our society says, hey, believe whatever you want, but keep it to yourself. How do we behave? Understand this. In the middle of a culture that wants us to sit down and shut up about our faith, there's a few things that we have to keep in mind. Number one, know God's word. Know God's word. As Peter and John are preaching, they know why they're preaching these things. They knew what Jesus had taught them. They knew the things that led up to this moment. Know God's word. If you want to stand up and if you want to rebel against for any reason outside of the scriptures, can I just say you're on your own? You're on your own. You can take up whatever cause you want. That's fine, but you're on your own. When it comes to standing up for our faith, we have to know what our faith is. You follow me? Why do we believe the things that we believe? What does God say about this? Secondly, we don't just know God's word, but we follow God's word. So when God's word says, we do. So we know God's word. We follow God's word. Understand, following God's word might lead you, and in fact, actually, I should walk that back, not might, will lead you into times of hardships. Paul writes to Timothy, and he says, Timothy, you got to be aware Everyone who lives godly in Christ Jesus will face persecution. There will be those that oppose everyone who chooses to live a godly life. Not everyone who chooses to call themselves a Christian, but everyone who chooses to live godly will suffer persecution and face persecution. And so not only do we know God's word, not only do we follow God's word, but follow me on this last one, we persevere. We persevere. When the going gets tough, the tough don't pack up and leave. The tough stay with it and say, God has called me to this. Therefore, I continue in it. And so what we find is we find these men that have been persecuted. The leaders of their culture and their society have said, give up, walk away but they knew what God had led them to do. And understand this. Um, Peter would later write and say, no prophecy of the scriptures of any private interpretation. Here's what that means. If God's saying something to you that he's not saying to anybody else and it's not in his word, maybe go back and learn the word. But here, Peter and John are doing exactly what they had been told to do. And watch what takes place next. Verse 23, when they were released... They went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, 
Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city, they were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats. Grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. And so what happened in the face of this persecution? What's the prayer of the early church? They gather together and they pray. And what's their prayer? Their prayer is this, if we have to paraphrase or summarize. God, you've done it before. God, you spoke through David. You spoke through Jesus. You've done all of this before. And so what's their prayer today? What's the request that they make? We don't find it until verse 29. He says, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with boldness. What's the prayer request that they give? It's boldness. Boldness, why? For what purpose? To speak the word. To tell others the thing that they've seen. My friends, don't walk away from the gospel. Just because it's uncommon or unpopular, don't walk away from the gospel. Don't walk away from the place where we found our salvation. Because how many names are there by which someone may be saved? There's one name. is what Peter had just said. Don't walk away from the gospel because understand this, even as you and I go out and speak the word of God with this boldness, watch what else they pray for. We're going to go and speak with boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And so they say, God, we'll go speak your word. We just ask that you continue to work. We just ask that you continue to work. God, keep doing your part, and we will keep doing our part. Can I tell you today that God hasn't given up on doing his part? God hasn't said, oh, you know what? You guys are doing great. Keep it up. I'll be over here sitting down. Good luck. No, God still changes lives. God still removes sin. God still forgives. God still makes old things new. That didn't stop when the apostles passed away. God is continuing to do his work. What's our part in the middle of that? Is it your responsibility to go out and to change lives? No, your responsibility is take the gospel to them that the word of God may be planted in their hearts and the spirit of God through the word of God may change and transform the lives of the hearers. And so Peter and John how does he stand? They go to these, these other believers and they pray and they say, God, give us boldness to speak your word because we know you're going to continue to work. And, and watch what happens here. Watch what happens here. When they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. 
They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And remember, in, the, in these early days of the church, there are these, there are these significant like, signs that are taking place in partnership with the demonstration of the filling of the Spirit. And so we have the, the sound of the mighty rushing wind in Acts chapter number 2, and now we have this place is shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And watch the very end here. They continued to speak the Word of God. What did they pray for? What did they pray for? Boldness. They continued to speak the word of God with boldness. What did God do with their prayer request? He answers it. He answers it. And we find now the disciples who had spent time with Jesus, now these disciples acted like Jesus. You hear me? They were with Jesus, and now they're like Jesus. If you and I are sitting in the same place that these disciples have been, what's your first response? You've been arrested. You've been threatened. You've been pulled aside and isolated, and all these things are going on. What is your first response? What's your first response? What's going on in your heart and in your life when you are arrested and taken away for preaching the gospel of Jesus? Maybe for you, you go and say, okay, how am I going to fight this? Maybe you call your attorney first thing. Maybe you say, okay, where are we going to go? Where are we going to run? Where's a safer place than this for us? And so we flee. How many of us, even our first response would be to pray? And then on top of that, if your first response is to pray, what are you praying for? What are you praying for? There has been this uh, systematic attack against you and your message. You spent the last night in jail. What are you praying for? And if we have to answer really honestly, how many of us are saying we're praying for boldness to keep doing the thing that we've been doing before? We're praying for the spine to stick with what God has called us to. No, we're praying for God change the hearts of the leaders, and we should. We're praying for God give us safety in this, that we might not be found out. And, and I'm not saying those are bad requests, but if those things won't change, neither should we. We don't conform our message to those who are hearing or to those who are the culture that's around us, but we go boldly to what God has called us to and if you say, if you want to say, oh, yeah, I would pray for boldness in this scenario. Can I just ask this question? What are you praying for now? What are you praying for now? Is that in your list of things? That you would be bold to take the gospel to others? If it is, I congratulate you. That's a wonderful thing. But oftentimes, that's the thing we leave on the, on the back burner. Maybe you look around, and a couple weeks ago I asked you, I said, hey, when was the last time you shared the gospel with someone? And if that answer was too long ago, you know what maybe would be great to add to your prayer list or prayer journal or whatever it is that you keep track of the things you're praying for? Boldness. Boldness. Because oftentimes, I think the reason that we don't share the gospel, it's not because we don't know the things. Because listen, if God's changed your life, because you've placed your faith in the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, you know enough to share with the gospel with someone else. You know enough to share the gospel with someone else. But the enemy is going to convince you 
that you need to be insecure about going to others with the gospel, that you don't know enough, that you aren't informed enough, that you're a hypocrite, that you're a, listen, pray for boldness. Pray for boldness to take this message out into your community, into your neighborhoods, to your family gatherings, to your workplaces. Pray for boldness to go with this message that God has given to you. And understand this with me. I love this. I think this is such an incredible truth of the scripture. If you pray for God's will, if you pray for the things that God desires, you will always get what you pray for. You you follow me? You pray for the things that God tells you to pray for, and he's going to grant it to you. Isn't that one of the incredible truths of Scripture? When we pray in the name of Jesus, not just merely tagging all of our prayers with in Jesus' name, but actually praying for the things that Jesus desires us to pray for. God wants to answer those prayers, and God will answer those prayers. And so these first century believers prayed for God's mission over their own well-being. How impressive is that? And I want you to understand with me that prayer is vital. Prayer matters as we go into this. Prayer is not just merely something that we do because it's a a token effort or an initiative. It's not merely anything like that. And in fact, I love this statement by um, a man by the name of Oswald uh, Chambers. He says this, prayer does not fit us for the greater work. Oftentimes we look at prayer as this thing that equips us to be able to accomplish something else. And he says, no, 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 no. Prayer doesn't equip us. It doesn't fit us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. Because you see, once God begins to do the things that he has set out and determined to do, who's going to stop it? And in fact, in just a couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at the response of these religious leaders because uh, obviously it's not stopping here. We're going to look at the response of these religious leaders. And you know what's incredible? Is they're going to look around and they're going to say, we can't do anything about this. You know why? Because it was true. Prayer doesn't equip us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. And so when you look around and say, why is my spiritual life anemic? Why is it so weak? Why am I not accomplishing these How's your prayer life doing? Because that's not just equipping you for everything else. It is the thing. And so as we pursue God, what we find is that the prayer life is essential for this pursuit of God. And today we watch these apostles, these disciples, the ones who followed after Jesus. Those around them looked and said, these men have been with Jesus. And then we see that these men are like Jesus in the way that they take the gospel and proclaim it to others. But understand, we become like Jesus by being with Jesus. We become like Jesus by being with Jesus. Not because we are so disciplined or not because we are so capable or we are so... No, 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 no. You want to be more like Jesus? Spend time with Jesus. You see, first, there's this basic truth is you're going to become like whoever you spend time with. But if you go even a step further than that, the Word of God actually tells us that there's something supernatural at play as we spend time with God. You see, 2 Corinthians chapter number 3, verse 18, uh, probably, in my mind, the most succinct, well-stated 
understanding of our spiritual growth says this, we all are beholding within a glass, the glory of the Lord. We're looking into this mirror. We're, we're seeing it. We're beholding it. Uh, this mirror is nothing less than the word of God. And so as we look into the word of God, we understand who God is as Jesus is revealed to us through the pages of scripture. What does it say? It says we are changed into the same image. As we behold Christ in his word, we're changed into that image from one degree of glory to the next. You see, it's not an overnight thing. It's a gradual process. How long had the disciples been with Jesus, Peter and John? They've been with Jesus for over three years now. They have known him. They were walking along with him. It was a, a gradual change and maturation that took place in their lives. From one degree of glory to the next, watch this. It's not even by their own discipline and self-control. No, it's even as by the Spirit of the Lord. So the Spirit of the Lord works in conjunction with the Word of the Lord, and our hearts are changed and molded and grown to be more like Jesus. That's the process. That's the process. We become like Jesus by being with Jesus. You see, a disciple, the most common word in the New Testament for a follower of Jesus, is one who follows after. You got to be with him. You got to be with him. You look at this first century church and say, wow, they were so much like Jesus. You know why? Because they had been with Jesus. You want to be like Jesus? You want to grow in your spiritual life? You want to you thrive as a Christian, a follower of his? Be with him. Because if you're with him, then you'll be like him. That's how it works. There's no shortcut. There's no fast track. We overcomplicate this in so many ways. Do you want to be like Jesus? Be with Jesus.